You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Explorers Podcast. Today is part four in our series on Francis Drake. Last time, we left Drake poised to enter the Strait of Magellan and go about harassing Spanish shipping on the western coast of the Americas. However, the voyage to this point had been heavy with controversy. Drake had suspected that one of the noblemen in the fleet, Thomas Doty, had been plotting mutiny against him. The two strong-willed men had clashed repeatedly, leading Drake to arrest Doty. Doty would be put on trial for mutiny and treason. He would be convicted and sentenced to death. The trial and execution are mired in controversy, as many feel that Drake didn't have the power to condemn a man like Doty, or even if Doty had been plotting mutiny. It was not Drake's finest hour. In the end, Doty was executed, and with that, Drake was putting a target on his back, since once he returned to England, he would need to justify his actions to the Crown, who did not take kindly to such behavior. On a positive note, Doty's execution, and Drake's subsequent warnings to everyone else, pretty much ended challenges to Drake's power. Now the fleet could move forward. At the entrance of the Strait of Magellan, Drake changed the name of his flagship from Pelican to Golden Hind. A hind is a female red deer. Drake had done this to honor Sir Christopher Hatton, one of the expedition's key backers, as well as an acquaintance of the just-executed Thomas Doty. It was sort of like saying, Hey, sorry I killed your friend. Hope naming my ship after your family makes up for it. Drake's fleet was now down to three ships, Golden Hind, Elizabeth, and Marigold. The other vessels had been scuttled, due to deteriorating conditions and a simple lack of need. And that pretty much gets us up to speed. Before we get going, I just want to remind you that there is a map of Drake's voyage on our website, listing the main places we will visit in this episode. Please check it out if it helps you, explorerspodcast.com. So, on with the show. Francis Drake and his fleet of three ships entered the Strait of Magellan on August 22, 1578. Now, let us remember a few things. First, Drake had no maps or charts of the strait. His Portuguese pilot, Nuno da Silva, had not been through the strait, and no Englishman had traversed it either. Drake only knew that it was about 300 miles in distance and very dangerous. The Strait of Magellan, at its mouth, is about 15 miles wide, but the strait constricts to as narrow as a couple of miles wide at several points and can be as wide as 35 miles. While in the strait, Drake and his men would have seen to the south of them the great archipelago of Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire. It is the large area south of the Strait of Magellan, the pointy tip of South America. It is so named because when Ferdinand Magellan had passed through the strait in 1520, he and his men had seen strange fires in this region. 
These were likely from the native peoples, or perhaps the result of lightning strikes. Now, it's important to remember that Drake did not know that South America came to an end. At this time, the general belief was that South America connected to a great continent to the south, called Terra Australis. Scholars believe that the only way through to the Pacific was through Magellan Strait. In reality, if you go a couple of hundred miles south, you start around the tip of the continent. The land surrounding the Strait of Magellan would have been awe-inspiring for Drake and his men. To the south, there were great mountains capped with snow. Much of this land was rugged and barren, or full of green pines, and the ships would have passed by massive walls of ice. And there was the cold. But what made the strait so dangerous was the winds, the rocks, and the shoals. Gusts of wind would suddenly sweep into the strait, even creating whirlpools. Such winds could easily carry a ship onto a shoal or rocks. And then there was the twisting, maze-like nature of the strait. Ships had to navigate countless turns, all the while managing the unpredictable winds. Another concern was the depth of the strait. Sometimes the water was so deep, the ship's anchors would not reach the bottom. And when they did find anchorage, the rugged bed would fray the ropes that held the ship in position. If a wind whipped up, it could make life very dangerous. Despite all of this, Drake and his three ships would make good time through the strait. In typical Drake character, the fleet was thorough and efficient as it moved westward through the maze. They sounded out the depths, advanced, and did it again. The fleet was aided by relatively calm waters. While traversing the strait, the men would stop and gather food, often killing penguins and seals. Passing through the Strait of Magellan went exceptionally well for Drake. He did it in just 14 days, reaching the Pacific Ocean on September 6th. Magellan had taken 37 days to make the crossing. Other recorded passages through the strait during this era usually took between 45 and 50 days. So, it was a remarkable feat, and you would think that Drake was lucky, and he had been. But even Drake was not immune to some bad luck, and he was going to get some, and with a vengeance. After emerging from the strait, the fleet headed northwest, away from the coast of South America, and into the ocean. Drake did this because his maps told him that this was the most direct route to Peru. He should have gone north. After sailing for about 200 miles, the fleet would be struck by a ferocious hurricane. It was a storm of epic proportions, not letting up for more than 50 days. Yes, that is correct. 50 days. For 52 straight days, Drake and his ships would fight relentless winds and storms. It was a fight that one ship would lose. In late September, Marigold disappeared in a storm, along with 29 men. One man claimed to have heard, quote, fearful cries, unquote, from the men of the ship, but no one knew for sure what happened to the vessel. One of the men lost was Edward Bright, the carpenter whose testimony had helped convict Thomas Doty only a few months earlier. Some called his death retribution, because they felt that his testimony was false. On October 7th, Goldenhine and Elizabeth were back near the South American coast, not far from the mouth of the Strait of Magellan. The storms were unrelenting, and the two ships were looking for a harbor to ride out the tempest. However, in the storms and in the dark and in the fog, the two ships were separated. Goldenhine was pushed south, while Elizabeth, under the command of John Winter, made it into the Strait of Magellan. The two ships were now apart, and they would never find each other again. Now, the focus going forward will be to stay with Drake and Goldenhine, but I do want to take a few minutes and let you know the fate of Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her crew anchored near the mouth of the Strait of Magellan and waited for two days to see if Drake would join them. As a note, Drake had a plan in case something like this happened. If the ships were separated, they were to regroup north in the region of Peru, at around 30 degrees south. When Drake did not reappear, Winter took Elizabeth deeper into the strait, where he waited out the storms, repaired his ship, and allowed his men to recuperate from various ailments, including scurvy. 
Quick side note. During this time, Winter's men, while out looking for medicinal herbs, would discover a tree which is now called Winter's Bark. The slender tree contains vitamin D, which helps prevent scurvy. Hence, why we call it Winter's Bark, after John Winter. Anyhow, after three weeks in the strait, Winter elected to turn around. He retraced his steps through the strait and headed for England. Winter's departure is full of controversy. Winter said that his men and officers were against trying to find Drake, insisting that there was no way that Goldenhine could have survived the storms. However, some of the crew claimed the decision was solely Winter's, and basically accused him of deserting Drake. Captain Winter gets beaten up for his actions, and at face value, he probably did abandon Drake. But it's hard to blame the guy. Most thought Drake lost. Why try and do something that would likely lead to your own demise? No matter, Elizabeth would return to England in June of 1579. In doing so, Winter successfully traversed the Strait of Magellan from west to east, something many thought impossible to accomplish. Winter would bring news of the voyage thus far, including the execution of Doty. Even though Winter had been the foreman on the jury that had convicted Doty, he tried to cast the blame of what happened fully on Drake. This was natural since no one thought Drake would ever return. What better fall guy for a failed expedition than the dead guy? Anyhow, enough of Captain Winter. Let us get back to Francis Drake. After being separated from Elizabeth, Goldenhine was driven south of the Strait of Magellan. Far south. In fact, some speculate that Drake was blown so far south that he actually reached Cape Horn, the southern tip of South America. That probably did not happen. But Drake did begin to suspect that South America was not connected to a great southern continent. However, that fact would not be confirmed until several decades later. As a note, the area between South America and Antarctica is today called Drake's Passage, as many believe Drake had found it. In late October, the 52 days of storms would finally come to an end. The wind eased, and Goldenhine was able to head north, up the South American coast. Drake wanted to reach 30 degrees south, to meet up with Marigold or Elizabeth, if they had survived the storms. The ship would obtain food along the way, including seals, which they hunted along the coast. Also, other foods were gathered, which helped address the problem of scurvy, although two of the men would succumb to the illness. On November 25th, Goldenhine had traveled up the Chilean coast about 1,000 miles. The ship anchored off the island of Mocha, about 380 miles south of Valparaiso, which is the port serving the city of Santiago. At Mocha, Drake led a party of about a dozen men ashore in search of food and water. The English were greeted by some native Indians, who Drake surmised, by their reactions, had seen Europeans before. It is believed that the Indians were Araucanian peoples, who had been fighting the Spanish for decades. It's possible they had fled to the island to escape their oppressors. The natives were friendly to the English upon arriving, but that appears to have been a ruse. The Araucanian likely viewed the English no differently than they did the Spanish, and when they saw Drake and his men were not well armed, they attacked. Every Englishman in the party would be injured in the coming melee, and two would be killed. Drake had an arrow strike him just below the right eye. Another inch, and he could easily have died as well. Diego, the escaped slave who was Drake's servant, reportedly had more than 20 wounds, but he would survive. Luckily for Drake and the rest of the men, they were able to get into their boat and row back to the safety of Goldenhind. Drake's response to this attack was surprisingly restrained. Some of the men wanted to fire artillery at the natives, but Drake nixed the idea. He guessed that the Indians had mistaken the English for Spanish. Killing the natives would not bring back the two lost crewmen. Instead, Drake weighed anchor and headed north. I want to take a little time and talk about Drake and his crew, so we can set the stage for the coming raids on the Spanish. Drake and Goldenhine had now been at sea for about a year. The crew probably numbered about 70 to 75 men. These men were disciplined and highly effective. They knew their duties and performed them well. Drake expected nothing less of them. 
Captain Drake was generally well thought of by the crew. He had, after all, come up through the ranks, just like all of them. And when needed, he was not above working side by side with his men, pulling on a rope or fighting the enemy. The men respected his knowledge and his skill. He was no highborn who had gotten the job as sea captain due to his father's money. He had earned the right. But make no mistake about it, Drake was difficult as well. He expected his men to work, and to work hard. He had rules, and if you broke the rules, there were consequences. Also, Drake never lost his religious zeal. It was said that he could spend three hours a day in prayer. He frequently read to his men, from the Bible or the Book of Martyrs, the latter dedicated to the Protestants who had been sacrificed by Queen Mary in his own formative years. And he preached to the men as well. Condemning King Philip and the Pope were two of his favorite topics. So, as Drake and his ship neared Spanish settlements, he had a crew that was relatively healthy, and they were eager and ready and prepared to strike at their foes. On September 5, 1578, Drake would approach the port of Valparaiso. He was now ready to bring war to the Spanish. At Valparaiso, Goldenhine cruised into the port's harbor, the Spanish oblivious to what was happening. One Spanish ship even put a boat into the water to go greet the newcomer. The English captured the boat and then went on the offensive. Drake would send two small boats full of armed men ashore and quickly capture the little town, the inhabitants fleeing. Goldenhine would seize the ship in the harbor, which yielded some wine and a small amount of gold. He would then take the Spanish ship as a prize, plus her pilot, who he would use as a navigator. From the town, he took food, as well as some silver from the local church. Drake departed the next day. The fleet would continue north, but progress was slow, as this was the area that Drake had told Marigold and Elizabeth to join him if they had gotten separated. Because of this, Drake lost precious time searching every bay and every inlet, hoping to find his lost ships. Also, at a place called Salada Bay, Drake had a small ship, a pinnace, built. He had brought the supplies and material to do such a thing from England. The pinnace had a single gun mounted on its bow and could carry up to 40 men. This gave Drake three ships, Golden Hind, the pinnace, and the prize from Valparaiso. However, all of these delays meant more time for the Spanish to be alerted to his presence, and word would spread. On December 19th, a party of Englishmen on shore were attacked by some Spanish cavalry and infantry, as well as Indian auxiliaries. One man was killed while the party made for the boats and retreated to the ship. The man would be decapitated and his heart cut out. Drake needed to get moving, and he knew it. He had to hit the Spanish while they were unprepared. Remember, the western coast of the Americas had never been attacked before, so the defenses were minimal. There were no fortresses with artillery to defend the ports, and the ships in the area were transport vessels. They had few, if any, guns on them. But defenses could be built, so Drake needed to get moving. Thus, he would abandon looking for Elizabeth and Marigold and head north in earnest. On the voyage, Drake took several smaller prizes, and then on February 7, 1579, he reached the settlement of Arica. This was the port where the silver from the mines of Potosi came to be shipped north. Drake and his men would capture the little village, but, unfortunately, word of his approach had reached the settlement only hours earlier, allowing the Spanish enough time to move the silver bullion to a well-guarded hiding place. The English would get only 37 silver bars and a chest of coins, a far cry from the horde of bullion that they had just missed out on. In the harbor, Drake took another prize ship, which had 1,700 jars of wine, plus some gold. He also got another pilot, and continued north. By the way, during this time, as I have noted, Drake was taking Spanish prisoners. He developed a reputation for treating his prisoners well, for the most part. If they did not lie or deceive him, he would eventually release them. But if someone did not cooperate, well, that was a different story. Then he would face Drake's wrath. However, from all accounts, it appears that Drake did not kill a single prisoner during his time in the Pacific. 
I want to mention something else about the Spanish prisoners who would come and go during this time. It is from the testimony of these men that we learn a lot about Drake. Most of the records that Drake and his crew kept have been lost, but we are able to draw on the observations of those who were his prisoners to discover more about Drake during this time. Example, the captured pilots lived and worked beside Drake for weeks and months. Once freed, these men would report back to their superiors what happened. It is from these surviving reports that we are able to know a lot about Drake and his activities. So, as I mentioned, word of Drake's presence was spreading north. It was taking away Drake's greatest ally, surprise, and it had already cost him a load of silver bullion. Drake would cut loose all of his prizes and his prisoners and would press north toward Callao, the port for Lima, the capital of Peru. Along the way, he would capture another vessel, this one bound for Panama. And from this ship, Drake learned about another vessel, the 120-ton galleon Nuestra Señora de la Concepción, who had just recently departed from Callao, bound for Panama as well. This vessel, Drake was told, was heavily laden with treasure. And the best part of it all, the galleon had not heard about Francis Drake. Now, another quick side note here. The Spanish galleon Nuestra Señora de la Concepción was known by another more irreverent and colorful name, Cacafuego, or Cagafuego, which translates into, pardon the language, fire shitter. I couldn't find out why the ship had gotten its alternative moniker, but I have to say that it is one of the best names of a ship in history. Most ship names are kind of boring. They're usually named after people or places. But Cagafuego, that's a pretty darn awesome name, at least in my book. Side note done. Drake and his two ships, Golden Hind and the Pinnace, would slip into the harbor at Callao on the evening of September 15, 1579. I have read that the harbor was full of ships, anywhere from 10 to 30 in total. The port had not been alerted to Drake's presence. The English would go from ship to ship, searching them for treasure. Unfortunately, none of them were treasure ships, so the loot taken was minimal. Drake's men cut the cables to all the vessels in the port, plus they chopped down the masts of the two largest ships to prevent them from coming after Drake or bringing word of the attack to other ports. However, that did not stop the Spanish from trying. A force of 300 men was raised and loaded onto two ships, which gave chase to Drake. However, Drake was slowed down a bit when, outside the harbor of Callao, he would capture another ship, San Cristobal. After taking control of the vessel and transferring any loot to the Golden Hind, he headed north with the prize in tow. However, the delay would allow the pursuing Spanish ships to catch up to him. Seeing the Spanish on the horizon, Drake cut loose his prize, along with all of the prisoners aboard. He would then easily outpace his pursuers. In reality, this was lucky for the Spanish, as their ships were not armed. Their hopes of catching Golden Hind and the Pinnace and boarding them were not good. Drake's artillery would likely have had no problem dealing with the two vessels. Now, one interesting note about this incident was that when Drake cut loose San Cristobal, he put all of his prisoners on the ship as well. These men were all fine, but the interesting thing is that amongst the prisoners was Nuno da Silva, the Portuguese pilot who had been with Drake since Africa. Now, da Silva had been added to the crew against his will, so it's not like he was some great friend. But it was kind of interesting, and perhaps a little cruel, to cut the guy loose at this stage in the game. I mean, come on. He had helped Drake get this far. Why couldn't he have just made him one of the crew? But no, instead, Nuno da Silva would end up with the Spanish, and in the custody of the Inquisition. He would spend four years in prison before finally being returned to Europe. Now, I feel bad for da Silva, but on the positive side, he did provide an account of his time with Drake, and from him, we learn a great deal about the voyage. Anyhow, Drake had bigger prey on his mind. The chase of Nuestra Señora de la Concepción was on. The treasure ship was about three days ahead of Golden Hind. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The race to overtake Cagafuego would be interrupted by opportunities that presented themselves along the way. One such opportunity occurred outside the port of Paita, where the fleet captured a pair of ships containing 80 pounds of gold, plus some silver and provisions. But Drake did not linger long. He knew he was getting closer by the day. He could smell his prey, even offering a golden chain to the man who spotted the treasure ship. That chain would be claimed by young John Drake on March 1st. Nuestra Señora de la Concepción was oblivious to the threat that was on her trail. Nine hours after spotting the treasure ship, Drake was within hailing distance. By the time the Spanish realized what was happening, it would be too late. A well-armed English ship was on top of them. Drake called for the captain, a man named San Juan de Anton, to surrender or be sent to the bottom of the ocean. Captain Anton refused and made a show of a fight. But the gesture would be futile. His ships had no artillery and only a few firearms. Goldenhine would let off a volley of artillery fire, bringing down one of the enemy ship's masts. Arrows and arquebus fire would follow. The Spanish defenders quickly abandoned their positions, leaving Captain Anton alone on deck. Next, the pinnace would come alongside the treasure ship, the English mariners boarding her without a fight. Nuestra Señora de la Concepción was in the hand of El Drake. Anton, the Spanish captain, was sent over to Goldenhine, where he was greeted by Drake with an embrace. Nuestra Señora de la Concepción was led out to sea, away from the heavily traveled sea routes, in order for Drake and his men to thoroughly transport whatever loot she had over to Goldenheim. And what treasure she had. Eighty pounds of gold and twenty-six tons of silver. Plus, there were more than a dozen chests of silver coins. In English money, it was valued at 126,000 pounds, roughly half the annual revenue of the English crown. And this was just the official registered cargo. There was unregistered bullion and treasure as well, at least another 15,000 English pounds worth, likely much more. Drake would keep the treasure ship for a week, often talking in depth with the Spanish captain, Anton. When Drake was ready to depart, he sent Captain Anton and all the prisoners back to their ship. Anton would describe how Drake gave gifts to many of the men on his ship. Pesos, linen, tools, even a musket for one of the soldiers. For Anton, Drake would give a document granting him safe passage should he encounter other English ships. Drake did this in case the galleon would be set upon by Marigold or Elizabeth. Drake didn't want the ship to be sacked a second time. And so, Francis Drake had just scored the greatest heist in English history. The only question now was what to do next. Drake could go on and harass Spanish shipping along the coast, but he did not really need the prizes. Yeah, it would be nice to sail around and sink Spanish ships and terrorize the various ports, but there was risk in that. The Spanish now understood that he was in the area. They were not only waiting for him, but they were actively looking for him. If he hung around, he risked losing all the gold and silver in the hold of Goldenhind. No, attacking the Spanish just didn't make sense at this point. What Drake needed to do was take some time to rest and refit his ships, and then make his way home. It was off the coast of Nicaragua that Drake captured a ship that was part of the trans-Pacific trade to the Philippines. 
This trade involved Spanish ships sailing between the Philippines and the western coast of the Americas, usually Acapulco. These ships would bring spices and silks and Chinese porcelain, as well as other exotic goods to the New World. Much of this stuff was then shipped to the eastern side of the Americas and moved on to Spain. Well, the ship Drake captured had charts and papers detailing the routes and directions to sail across the Pacific. These, as you can imagine, will come in a bit handy a little bit later. Also, Drake would swap out the pinnace for the ship that he had just captured. Drake's last raid was on the town of Gualtuco, a small port in Mexico. Here, his men gathered food and water and ransacked the town. Upon leaving, he would let it be known that he was heading toward Acapulco. Whether this was what he intended to do, or if it was just a diversion, we don't really know. But in the end, it would be a great diversion, allowing Drake to make for some place beyond the realm of the Spanish. So, what were Drake's options? Well, first he could head south and make his way through the Strait of Magellan and return home. That was the original plan. But this would be a risk, because he would be sailing past the entire Spanish holdings, from Mexico to Chile, and who knew what waited for him on the other side of the Strait of Magellan. No matter, it was risky. Another option was to sail north, in search of the western entrance of the fabled Northwest Passage, and hope to get home that way. But no one even knew if this even existed. Up to now, it was all speculation. The final option was to go west, across the Pacific. It was an option no one really thought feasible, but with the charts and directions he had captured, Drake began to seriously consider it. In the end, Drake decided to go north and search for the Northwest Passage. If that failed, he would go west, across the Pacific. At this point in the expedition, Drake had two ships, Golden Hind and the Spanish frigate he had seized off Nicaragua. He had roughly 60 to 70 men. With these two ships, Drake would sail north, beyond the reaches of Spanish power. Unfortunately, at this part of his journey, it gets somewhat sketchy, as the official records have been lost or destroyed. But we do have enough to piece together Drake's steps. In the spring of 1579, the fleet would reach modern-day California. This area had been visited before by Spanish explorers. Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo had sailed to the northern reaches of California, maybe even as far as present-day Oregon. However, there were no settlements, and ships rarely ventured this far north. How far north Drake actually did go, we don't know. Some records indicate that he reached as far as 48 degrees north, which would have put him almost to Canada. However, most scholars agree that Drake only got as far as about 38 degrees north, right around modern-day San Francisco. At this point, Drake was skeptical of any Northwest Passage. Thus, a voyage across the Pacific looked likely. For that, he needed to prepare his ship. On June 17, 1579, the fleet would find a good harbor to lay anchor. Where this place was is not exactly known, but that hasn't stopped people from speculating for centuries. The spot that most people have settled on is called, appropriately enough, Drake's Bay, just north of San Francisco Bay. Drake called the area Nova Albion, Latin for New Britain. Here, the men of the fleet would find the local natives, the Miwok people, to be friendly and cooperative. Still, just to be safe, Drake had a small fort built on the shore. Twice he had been attacked by seemingly friendly natives, and he wanted to be ready if it happened again. But on that count, Drake would not have to worry. The Indian people were friendly, and as they had not encountered Europeans before, they did not harbor any negative impulses. This meant both sides enjoyed the presence of the other. While at Drake's Bay, the Indians would give Drake a wooden scepter, which he interpreted as them making him a god to their people, or at least their ruler. Drake would take it upon himself to claim the lands for England. The fleet would go about preparing for their upcoming voyage across the Pacific. Golden Hind was leaking and needed repairs, and food and water and provisions were gathered for the journey. 
Drake and his men would remain at New Albion until July 23rd, a five-week respite from the hardships at sea. Drake would even travel inland and do some exploring. When the fleet finally did depart, the natives were reportedly distressed to see the newcomers leave them. By the way, Drake would leave the Spanish frigate behind, deciding he was better off with one fully manned ship rather than two partially manned vessels. The next day, Drake stopped at an island off the California coast to gather more food, specifically sea lions. Then, on July 25th, Golden Hind set sail to the west. The destination was Asia. And that is where I am going to leave us for today. Francis Drake had gone through the Strait of Magellan, terrorized Spanish settlements and shipping on the western coast of the Americas, and seized the greatest prize ever captured by an English ship. The Spanish, as you can imagine, were in a tizzy, furious at what had happened. Next time, we will follow Drake across the Pacific to Asia, and then home. I hope you enjoyed today's adventure. I will see you next time on the Explorers Podcast for Part 4 in our series on Francis Drake. Thank you again for listening. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.